1: Hello and welcome to New Books in Photography. I'm Lorena Turner. Today I'm talking with Carl Baden. His new book, The Americans by Car, was published by Retroactive Press in June of 2016. Welcome to the podcast, Carl.
0: I'm happy to be here, Lorena.
1: I'm happy to have you. Could you start by talking a little bit about your book, new- the-, the Americans by Car?
0: Okay, well, um, it is a conceptual book of, uh, photographs. Well, the book isn't, the book itself is not conceptual, but it has a conceptual conceptual framework. Um, and how it started was actually through another body of work, a more recent body of work that, um, I had been doing on the streets, uh, for the past three summers and, I had gotten it to a point where I thought I could get a book out of it, and I still think I can get a book out of it, but um, I was really running into a wall in terms of the sequencing. So um, one thing that you that you might want to know about me is that in, in the projects I've done over the years, th- there's always been um, a time when I have, gone back in the history of photography and referenced it somehow in my work. And I've done at least four, uh, projects, you know, between what was the first one say 1980 and now that have specifically had to do with the history of photography. And so in the back of my mind, I had had this idea of, Working with Robert Frank's book, the Americans, which was, you know, originally published in France in 1957, because he couldn't get a publisher to take it on until um, Grove Press, which was the, you know, the Beatnik Press, the, they published the the Beat Poets, uh, actually published the first American edition in 1958. Um it's it's a book that i grew up on photographically and people of my generation and before um basically saw this book as the main uh the main influence in photography and you, you can I, I would say that pretty much without argument uh robert frank's the americans um is the most influential photography book and the work in it the most influential work of the second half of the 20th century. And so uh it was extremely important to me learning about photography and becoming a photographer and it was a book that I didn't take to immediately. Uh the pictures were it was not like looking at Ansel Adams' work or Edward Weston's work where you can you can see the beauty right up front. It was something that, um, that you really had to look at and it, it, uh, it had to grow on you. Puts me in mind of this thing that, that, um, the artist Ed Ruscha said, um, he said, most people make work that when you look at it, you say, wow. And then you say, huh? And he said, but I like to make work that, when you look at it, people say, "Huh," and then, "Wow," and um, that's what the Americans was for me. It was, it was the latter. And so, in um, in the mid 2000s, I had start started photographing more from my car. I would stop places and use the the windows and the uh, door frames and the rear view mirror and the sun visors you know all as formal components um, making a delineation between inside and outside and I certainly was not the first to do this but I tend to photograph pretty much everywhere I go and I always carry a camera and so Working from the car was just a, a, a natural evolution from, you know, not being in the car, walking down the street or being in the house or being, you know, at a museum or so, someplace else. Um, I, I would I would still use the camera. I I remember in about 2012, I was driving in Boston and I, I made a picture. And, you know, when you're when you're photographing in these situations, everything happens very quickly. And you you don't have time to analyze or even sometimes you don't even have time to see the picture when you take it. But um I, I was looking at it later and it reminded me of the cover picture from the Americans. And uh that's the picture of the trolley in New Orleans. And um so it was something that started to grow uh, as an idea in the back of my head. And I was, like I said, I was working on some other things. So, I, I, you know, I, I sort of said, well, you know, if I can get to it, I'll get to it. And then I ran into this block, uh, this sort of artist block. And I said, well, why don't I go back to this idea about the Americans? Because, My problem here with the first body of work is sequencing. And if I do the American's book, it's already pre-sequenced. So that problem is completely eliminated. And so what I did was, um, you know, when it comes down to it, and I say that the book is conceptual, the concept is about influence. Mm -hmm. And really in its largest sense. So I, I used myself as a kind of every person example or every man, as they used to say, um, every man photographer. Um, and I decided that I wouldn't make any new pictures, although I did cheat on that with one or two pictures. But for the most part, I would look back into my archive and try and find a photograph that somehow resonated with another photograph that was in the Americans. And I would try to do that with every photograph that was in the Americans. So, um, you know, it took two or three months of pouring through pictures back down in the vault and, uh, I finally managed to come up with 83 pictures that, to a greater or lesser degree, to me, had some connection to the Americans, Uh, and that's the number of pictures that are in the Americans, and so I set them up in the same sequence as the Americans. So if you look through the Americans by car, which also – I'll digress for a second here – is a reference to Lee Friedlander's more much more recent book called America by Car, mm-hmm. which I think is, um, you know, I, I, I've I, always Friedlander. I've always seen Friedlander as an important photographer, but um, the Americans by Car, I think, is a really important book. I mean, it's it's not important in the sense that the Americans. Was important. It's it's not a game changer, but it is an example of. um, I don't know if you've ever looked through it, but it is in the photographs and in the layout. um, It is an example of really a master at the height of his powers, um, showing us how brilliant a photograph can be. And, um, and, and really a a book because Friedlander now, uh, I've read considers himself first and foremost to be a book artist. Um, and he, you know, he puts out a number of books a year, but anyway, so I found, you know, 83 photographs that seem to correspond with each of the 83 photographs in the Americans I, you know, they were all taken from, from my car. Um, there are a few that if, if, if they weren't taken directly from the car, um, the, the notion of the automobile is, um, a major part of the photograph. So I sequenced them. Uh, I put, uh my version of an introduction by Jack Kerouac, because the original had an introduction by Jack Kerouac. Mm -hmm. I tried to keep the typeface, um, referential to the Americans and the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the way the book was laid out. In other words, very simply one picture per page spread. Mm -hmm. And, um, So, in some ways, it is just like the Americans, in some ways, it refers to the Americans, and in some ways, it is mine. But that is how the book evolved, and, um, you know, it was was tough to find the pictures, and I, I, I feel like I had to sacrifice, in some cases, picture quality to... Get the um to get the the reference and and the resonance, but you know there there are enough good pictures in there that um that I stand by it and um uh, I'm uh, I'm certainly happy with it.
1: We're going to talk about the book specifically in a few minutes. Talk a little bit about your experience and your history as a photography. How long have you been working in photography? Um, Give us a little context of your relationship to it. I first
0: picked up a camera in earnest, I guess you would say, in late 1971 when I was a sophomore in college. And the reason that I did was to impress a girlfriend who I was enamored of and I couldn't see – what, what she saw um, in um, you know a, a, a jerk like me, and so I felt like I had to do something. I remember hitchhiking home to my parents' house from college, and on my uh, on Thanksgiving of my sophomore year, and my dad, who was a high school teacher, um, he had start started you know photography as a hobbyist several years earlier and he built a darkroom in the basement and he had just graduated to um a nikon which was um you know very special in those days a nikon f so so he let he lent me his um his old mamaya 35 millimeter camera and i went back to college and voila i was a photographer (laughs)
1: Wow.
0: And, um the relationship lasted about 9 months and um but by that time photography had taken hold of me. The interesting thing is that um the old girlfriend is became a photographer as well. But um but yeah, that's that's when I started and actually the the next year I took a semester off and went actually hitchhiked from upstate New York to California and then down to the US Mexican border and then with buses and planes uh went through Mexico and into Peru and that's where I really started photographing seriously um so when I came back to school I switched my major from anthropology um it was my childhood dream to become an archaeologist and uh so i enrolled as an anthropology major so i switched my major from anthropology to um you know i was i was lucky enough to be in a a special program in the school where i could design my own major so i I was essentially a studio arts major but um uh I, i i could pick the courses that i wanted um with with more freedom than um the average student so uh you know i concentrated on photography and um it just so happened that while i was there and this was in syracuse new york Mm -hmm. uh, there was um a little dark room rental dark room that started up at the school and it was called the community dark rooms and um I joined so I could use a darkroom outside the classroom in maybe 1973 and the community darkrooms which actually still exists but it became a nonprofit organization called Lightwork. So I I was one of the you know first five or six people involved in Lightwork and I think that um that Lightwork Uh, was probably the most important educational experience that I had in photography. I mean, I've actually only taken maybe two or three formal photography classes in my life. Mm -hmm. And um, everything else was really like, it was either a seminar or, or something else entirely. And you know, the the things that were happening at Lightwork at the time, um, and the freedom that I was given to do what I wanted there, as opposed to school where I had to, you know, fulfill an assignment or you know do something that I didn't want, it w- was was it was more it was more valuable to me than any certainly any photography class that I took as an undergraduate and at least as valuable as anything that I did in graduate school. And I, and I think that, you know, it's still around, it's become, um, you know, it's a terrific organization. I mean, it's at a time when many nonprofit organizations are hanging on by their fingernails because of budget cuts you know, which, which I think started in the culture wars of the 1990s with Jesse Helms and that sort of thing. Um, light work has grown and, um, you know, it's, it's mission, uh, with its artists in residence program and its publishing program is terrific and I have nothing but great things to say about it.
1: Where did you go to graduate school?
0: I went to graduate school at um, the University of Illinois in Chicago. Uh, in fact, it was the only place that I applied. And the reason was that um, while I was at Lightwork, um, you know, in the, I mean, I left Syracuse to go to school in 1977. And so, uh While I was there, they established an artist in residence program. And the first artist in residence was this guy from Chicago named Joseph Jockna. And Joe was one of the first generation of students of Callahan's and um, Siskin's at the Institute of Design in Chicago. So he was a Contemporary and a, um, a classmate of uh, Ken Josephson and Barbara Crane and um, Ray Metzger, Art Sinzabaugh, You know all those people. Um, he w- he was one of them. And we, I, I remember the first day um, he came to Lightwork. I was flattening some prints on the dry mounting press. And, you know, the directors of Lightwork were showing him around, and he passed me doing this, and they, they introduced him to me, and we said hi. And um, I, I had known who he was because he had just um, – uh, w- one of the things that, I, that was important to me when I was uh, in college in terms of photography was the Time Life series of books mm-hmm. of photography, mm-hmm. uh, and they, they had just come out and um so i was just you know they they were the most accessible things and i was gobbling them up and and he had um uh, a big spread in one of them so i had just found out who he was but you know he he saw a print of mine at the top of the pile and he said and the first thing he said was hey i'll trade you for that and you know that kind of affirmation i mean so we started talking and um he said, you know, we're starting a graduate program where I teach and, um, I would really encourage you to apply. And, you know, this was my senior year in college and I had, you know, in those days, uh, um, well, it turns out that most of my, my friends became attorneys, but, um, you know, at the time we all thought we'd be living on commune someplace and, you know, getting milk from goats and that sort of thing. But, um, you know I, I had no plans really uh, and so I applied and I got in and um, uh, it was it was it was a great experience I mean in I, I think that light work was more important but Chicago um, was a, and I think still is a terrific town um, there was a lot, you know, it, it had its own, it has its own aesthetic and not only in terms of photography, it's very important in terms of the history of photography in the 20th century, because that's where Moholy Naj established the Bauhaus mm-hmm. when he fled Germany. Um, and the Bauhaus was the thing that eventually, you know, that was the Institute of Design. So, um, But also in terms of painting and sculpture, it's it's um, it's a certainly I would say it's a more important town than than a place like Boston. But um, and it was just a a great, you know, it was open later. The public transportation was better ran later. It had some crazy places. uh, I'm a big blues fan. So um, it was a great place to be for two years.
1: Was that the first year that the program? No, it was the
0: the second year. Second year. year? They were trying to accept to be very selective, and that year they accepted three students for photography.
1: And who were your classmates?
0: My classmates, the two the two people that they accepted were um, uh, Ben Sareo, I remember, um, who uh, had just won. Um, the Chicago Art Award the year previously, and he was an installation and performance artist um, who also worked with photography. And um, you know, I've lost contact with him the past couple of years, but um, I know that he was an artist in residence, I think, for NASA. And um, you know, he was still he was still doing what he was doing. And then there was another another guy named um, R. D. Doherty and um he he also did um photographically based installation work, and um I don't know what's happened with him but um you know, uh, since then um there have been a number of people who have have gone through who you know who have done well who are teaching you know one comes to mind right away is Doug Ishar. Um, um, who stayed in Chicago and I think actually teaches there or maybe teaches at the art Institute. I don't know. But, um, Joe was a a real big influence for me. And also there was a woman, uh, named Esther Parada, um, who was not on the graduate faculty at the time, but, um, we became friends quickly and, um, she was also, uh, a big influence. She was, she was an undergraduate teacher, but, uh, became, uh, graduate faculty right after I left. And, um, sadly neither of them are around anymore, but, um, the faculty there right now is, is, is pretty good. Um, uh, Gary Minnix teaches there and I have enormous respect for his work. And, um, uh, I can't think right now, but, um, I'm glad I went there.
1: That's all I can say. I, 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 always think of, um, I think of graduate school as a bit like, you know, it's, it's two years of your life. I mean, graduate school for photography, let's, yeah. specifically. So it's two, two years of your life, or maybe for some people like me, two and a half years, um, of your life that you get this, you know, incredible time to focus on your work and your ideas and, uh, developing yourself and, but then you never quite leave that, you know, it's always a part of you. And it's almost like you, you know, depending on, um, you know, it doesn't really matter how the program changes, um, you know, after you leave, but you've, you've kind of bought stock in that department and in that, um, in that university. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I, I feel, I feel that way more I think about light work than I do about, um, um, circle, uh, that was the short name for it. Um, University of Illinois at Chicago Circle. Uh, so we called it Circle. So, um, but, um, you know, as, as a teacher and also just as a photographer, you know, in the area, I mean, people, all, all the time, people ask me about grad school. Students do, mm. people who are a little bit out of school. And, my feeling is that, uh, yes, you get more time to do your work. You get two or three years, um, presumably uninterrupted, to do your work and to mature. And um, uh, that does happen, I think, in most cases. But. I think more realistically, maybe a little bit more cynically, um you know the, the the one thing that graduate school does on paper is that it allows you to teach in college.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And what that really means is that it allows you to get in line with 400 other people to apply for a you know any number of jobs. And so um you know, that's, that, that's not uh, uh, that's not a terribly healthy prospect, uh, as, as people are finding out left and right these days. But I think another th- thing in a de facto sense that it does, um, and this completely depends on the school that you go to, is that um, it can help place you in the art world It can be good for, quote, making connections, but that is really uh, dependent on the the school that you go to. If you go to uh, Columbia or if you go to Yale or if you go to CalArts, um, you are much more likely um, to be in a better position to negotiate with the art world when you leave then you would be if you went to uh, i'm not going to name anything but if you know if 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 you went to some regional MFA program in i don't know the midwest or or, or you know some uh, a program that was that was not nearly um uh seen as Having that, the importance of the, of the of those the programs I mentioned earlier, or or, or the cloud, and for better or for worse, uh, I, I believe that's the um, that's that's the real story. Now, in my case personally, <clears throat> um, you know, by the time I went to grad school, I had been a photographer for three at least three years, and. I was on fire about it. I mean, and the the best thing about grad school, and I think that Joe Jockner knew this, was that I was left alone. Mm-hmm. And of course, I had to go to the seminars and all that kind of stuff. But um, he knew that I was entirely self motivated, and um, that there was <clears throat> that I was going to produce, and that there was no. You, you know, that I needed very little guidance. And I I was not aware of that consciously at that time. I mean in retrospect I was, but you know, when I entered, um, I was off and running. And so graduate school for me was just like not being in graduate school. I mean it was mm-hmm. just like, you know, the, the years before um, I just did my work. And 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 in fact, even though Um, I got a free ride in graduate school, um, and the second year I did get paid as a TA as well, but, um, the first year I had to get a job because, you know, even though I didn't have to pay tuition, I did have to, you know, live someplace and eat, um, so it was just like being in the real world, but, you know, I had access to a dark room. I had people to talk to, um. But I was just doing my work. There was uh, it, it was a completely seamless transition and um it was you know, it was not like uh the the only thing that was new was that I had never lived in Chicago or actually any big city before and um fortunately Chicago was a great town and there was there was lots to see and lots to take pictures of.
1: Did um how did
0: living in Chicago change your work? Well, that's interesting. I, I can say two things about it. First of all, well, I want to establish that my roots in photography are definitely on the street. Um, and I got away from that for a while during from the late 1970s to probably the late 1980s where, where the work I was doing – was um, manipulated in one way or another. Um, and he, I have no regrets about that work. I think it was good work. But um, I think in in middle age, um, somehow I, uh, I don't know, I, I, I got a sniff of my mortality or whatever, and I, I started to go back on the street because I was very interested in making pictures where I could say I was there when I made this picture and these were the circumstances, and it marked something in my life. Mm -hmm. But um, the two things that uh, I think influenced my work when I was in Chicago were, first of all, um, the painters and sculptors of Chicago. Now, I don't know if you know, but Chicago has its own, um, kind of school of art, which, uh, uh, I, I I guess the, the formal name for it is, uh, they're called the Chicago imagists. Um, uh, the, the informal name was the Harry who, uh, named after, uh, this guy named Harry Boris, who was a, um, an influential critic in Chicago in the, in the 1960s and 70s. But um, artists like Roger Brown and Jim Nutt and Gladys Nielsen and H.C. Westerman um, the and Ed Paschke, um, their work combined surrealism with cartoons. That's, that's the only way I can put it. Hmm. and um it 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 really hit a chord in me um you know i i think that gr- growing up outside of new york and my parents were um you know they 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 knew about culture and they knew about art they were both teachers um and being dragged into new york every weekend you know to go to one museum or another um, I, I did get an informal education, and I do remember, you know, as a, a an eight or ten-year-old kid, um, certainly the surrealist pictures struck me um, more than uh, the abstract expressionists or, you know, the social realists or, 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 or the cubists or whatever, because... They were so crazy. I mean, they were something that even an eight-year-old kid could relate to, and um, so I think it was from that that kind of inner, uh, that kind of psychological life um, was something that uh, that the that the Chicago painters, um, I don't know, they their work resonated with me on that level um, just in terms of a subconscious, you know, sort of Freudian thing. But it was also, it was also very funny and very, um, uh, it was just crazy. You know, it was, it was wacky. Um, And so that was an influence. And um, also uh, Jockna's work at the time He was uh, working with sort of mirrors and lenses, uh, ancillary lenses, you know, like uh, uh, a magnifying glass or something like that. Um, I think that that had an influence on the work that I did for my graduate thesis as well. Um, And that work is um, self-portraits. Uh, and they are, um, very, uh, I guess, uh, they look like things in transition, you know, from being animal to human or male to female, or uh, I I don't know what, but they, um, they're all pictures of me or parts of me. Um, all the, uh, manipulation is done in camera. So they're, they're straight prints. But I, I think that those, those two things, um, Joe's work and um, the, the Chicago Imagist painters, for the most part, were, um, were my biggest influences.
1: Do those influences, do you think they continue to resonate in the work that you're doing now?
0: Yeah, not in the same way, though. I mean, I, I, I feel a little bit uncomfortable uh describing my own work um I, as i think most most people do sure. uh, but i think that my work has always um i mean the reactions that i've gotten from my work uh have always or very often had to do with um humor um and it's opposite, you know, some kind of uh, I'm not going to say horror right now, but um, some kind of biomorphic strangeness, um, some sort of visual paradox. And and this this is even in the straight photography that I do and, and in the straight photography that I did, you know, at, at, as a um, as a college student, you know, before I started. Graduate school, and so you know, uh, people often come up to me and say, "Oh, geez, you know, your work is so funny," and uh, and and that's funny in itself to me because they'll often add, you know, Carl, you know, I love your work; it's so funny. You you must have had a great time making it. I say, no, I didn't have a great time making it. It was very anxiety-provoking. It was really hard to do. And you know, if, if you're talking about pictures from the car, you know that, that that I that I took since since we're talking about this book, um, I say you know you, you're 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 driving past people and you're 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 taking their picture and then you're moving on and they're screaming at you, or, or you stop to take a picture and you're trying to frame it a certain way and you're. Con- you're contorting yourself in the in the front seat of the car you know you're you're kind of like upside down below the dashboard and I, you know no it's it's not fun at all you know it's it's <laughs> and and but that really enlightened me about something which is that um i I won't say this categorically but um i I do believe that you can make a case that um that humor and the need for for humor um, comes from pain, and um, I think that if everybody was happy and fulfilled and satisfied with joy all the time, there would be no need for humor. I mean, if you you just think about any comedian or comedy or um, you know, from from Shakespeare or from from the Greek playwrights, really, to to now, um, and look at the subject matter and look at how they're dealing with it. And there's a lot of pain and suffering in there, and that is, you know, the thing that's that's that works about humor is that it's a relief from that. It's a way of dealing with it. It's a way of looking at it and, um, a, a, and somehow being able to manage it, you know, without, without sort of going off the deep edge. I, I, I really believe that. And, um, you know, I, I mean, Lenny Bruce is an example that, that comes to mind immediately um, as, as does uh, George Carlin or Richard Pryor. But if, if you see somebody's acts, you know, the, they're not about being happy it's 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 really quite quite the opposite. look at somebody like louis C k these days just to to mention a contemporary comedian um, you know his 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 work uh, funny as it is 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 not about being happy so anyway i I think that in a more philosophical and a more ontological sense um, the root of humor is really in its opposite. So um, that's one thing. One story, a little story was I, I, before I I started teaching at BC, I was, um, I taught, taught up in Andover for a few years, two or three years um, at the uh, Phillips Academy, which is this boarding school there. And um, I remember at that time I had won um, one of the state, you know, fellowships or grants, and the local newspaper, um, the Andover Townsman or whatever it was, sent somebody to interview me, and she was pretty young, and um, she said, well, um, what, what, describe your photography, and I said, well, I don't know, I, I think that I, I guess what I what I what I am looking for, and and this has changed since then. But I said I'm I'm trying to sort of strike a balance between humor and horror. So the interview came out, and uh, you know, if I had it here, I could actually quote it, but I'm going to have to paraphrase it. Um, the in the, in the interview, the quote came out was, "I like to s- strike." A balance between the horrible and the horrendous, and so (laughs) that was like I couldn't say anything funnier than that. So you know, so so anyway, uh, I I think that you know, as much as I can describe my work, um, I know that it's uh, it's seen as being funny, Mm -hmm. uh, but. Uh, like many other photographers, especially those who who work out in the world, um, I respond to things that catch my eye and uh, I think that in some cases, um, I know that I'm onto a project early on or I will even predetermine a project. but um, in many cases, uh, like somebody like Lee Friedlander um, I will be taking pictures and then I'll be looking at them and I'll say, Hey, I, have t- taken, you know, six pictures of this in the past week. Maybe that means something. And mm-hmm. then I'll go back and look and see if I've done other things. And then, you know, it, it, will evolve into a project. I mean, most of the time I go out with that, without any real clear idea of, of what I'm I'm looking for, I'm I'm just looking for something that I haven't seen or that, that strikes me uh, as, you know, interesting or odd or visually compelling or, you know, that resonates with me in a way that I I can't even describe.
1: Let's talk about your Instagram because it's it seems like an important part of um, not necessarily the work that you're doing on a daily basis, but it looks, it's, your Instagram feed it seems to be a way for you to look back at some of the the, yeah. the images you've taken and yeah. your' um, and you're, and, you're in, and mainly what I've seen there is images that you've taken and you took in the 1970s though they could extend 75, yeah okay specifically that that time period that year. what are you looking for in those images what are you finding in those images perhaps is a better question you know with your With, with all of the experience and all of the kind of visual education Mm -hmm. that you've had in the last 40 something years, what are you finding in those images that you're putting on Instagram?
0: That is a question that, you know, I can't give you a specific rote answer to. I think that, I think that part of the reason that I'm putting them is to see what's there. um, And to, you, you know, I mean, I, I, I think that, you know the cliche is that um that the job of art is to in part is to raise questions and not give answers and so i'm more interested in uh the questions that the work uh raises than you know in anything i can find specifically i mean if if i if i could put it in a nutshell um, you know i should i should tell you about this trip but if i could put it in a nutshell um i mean the trip that that uh, generated the photographs but um if i could sum it up uh you know i think that i took m- more good pictures than i thought i did in 1975 and so it's interesting to me to revisit it on that level and um it's also, you know, being a photographer and being a photographer who like I said photographs out in the world even, you know, even when I was doing uh more conceptual or more manipulated work, I was still photographing, you know, and I was still making pictures on the street, you know, maybe sometimes less and maybe sometimes more, but um it's it, it's important I think in a personal way for me to see where I was and where I am now and the path between um, those two points. And um, it's, it's, it's a matter of getting a certain kind of perspective. And, and, and this um, Lorena is, is it's all very personal. I mean, I'm not doing it for, a specific purpose that I know about, but it's to try and look back at my life and say, okay, well, this is what I did. And, oh yeah, I was thinking that then. And how could I have been thinking that? Or geez, I should have done this, that, or the other thing. Um, but it's, and, and I think it's also a way, and this is something that harkens back to social media itself it's also a way of dealing with work that in another time uh would have stayed in a box hmm. you know, until my demise, and then who knows what what would have happened to it i mean uh most photographers you know when they when they get to be middle age they they start thinking about what's going to happen to their work and um you know that there are all those stories about, um, you know, Bernice Abbott picking Eugen Atchay's work out of the trash. You know, I mean, he, here's here's the the father of modern photography, and it, his work was, you know, saved serendipitously. We, we 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 may never have seen it. You know, we may never had, have seen Mike Disfarmer's work. You know, of course, the big craze now is Vivian Meyer you know you, you you think about it and so why not put it out on social media i mean it's in in that sense it's like a gift i mean uh i i have i have a closet full of book projects and book mm-hmm. dummies and um you know uh, i've been um you know we 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 talked before the interview about flogging your wares about promoting your work and stuff and um I, you know, if I, if I was better at it, I I would have more books out than I have now. Um, and, uh, you know, my problem has always been, um, you know, finishing the project and trying to get it, um, published. I mean, I, I have, you know, a number of friends who, um, have self-published and I'm talking about, um self-publishing in the seventies and the eighties, I mean, before blurb and before all this stuff who have self-published, you know, some, some pretty important photography books. And I look at them and the things that they have to go through, you know, dragging their stuff from publisher to publisher and I'm exhausted just watching them. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's always been a little daunting for me. So so the things that that have actually happened, the books that I have had published, and you know, have been, um, I, I guess, happy accidents or something. You know, people coming to me, or I, I don't know. You know, for example, what happened with the with the Americans book that, uh, you know, it just took me completely by surprise. Uh, you know, I, I I thought I'd print fifty copies and I'd, you know, give five of them or 12 of them to my friends and then I'd sell three and and that would be it. Um, You know, it was, it was, there was no, I mean, there's always the hope of, you know, good things happening or um, more people interested in what you're doing, but that wasn't the reason I did it. I did it because I, I needed to get it out of my system. Once I decided to do it, it was really, you know, it's like, okay, I've I've had this idea for a while. I'm going to do it now because I can't do the other thing. And I'm just going to, like, full steam just to get this sucker out of my system. And that's it. I won't have to deal with it anymore. Um, And really, that's what it was like, you know, just getting the pictures together. I knew exactly what I was going to do. And. You know, I mean, I didn't know which picture was going to be the best or whatever, but, uh, you know, that that was really it. But in terms of the 1975 pictures, you know, I this was I because I um, of this South America trip that I took um, when when I was a sophomore uh, junior, I guess I graduated a semester late. So I graduated in December of 1975. And on January 1st of 1975, a friend and I, you know, got in his car and we drove from upstate New York, you know, winding around the country. And we finally ended up at this other friend's um, in who was living in Berkeley, California, who was a, a colleague, uh, not a colleague, a classmate of mine, um, and was a photographer and he had gone out the year before and he was living and working in Berkeley. And so the, the guy who I went with initially, um, you know, we stopped at this other guy's place and then we drove down into Mexico and we drove down to the Baja and our nominal reason for going there was, you know, there's, um, about midway down the Baja, right where the, the 28th parallel is or whatever it is. um, there's a place called Scammon's Lagoon, and the California gray whales migrate there every January to give birth. And um, so it's this phenomenon. And so that's, that's what our trip was about nominally. But for me, you know, it was about taking pictures also. And so we went down there, and then the guy that I went out with Um, that I drove out with, he went back to the Northeast and I hitchhiked back up to Berkeley and this other friend of mine and I, you know, spent uh, another month or so living in Berkeley. And then we took his pickup truck, which had like a camper top and the two of us and my dog spent six months or so just winding around the country and, um, photographing. And I was not thinking about preserving the time, you know, that I was not thinking about preserving the period. I was not thinking about anything except, you know, desperately trying to make a good picture now and again. And so, um, that's, you know, that that's the the nominal story of, of of those pictures and you know we came back and i think we got back in i don't know august of 75 and um we went to light work and we started printing them and we had a show one show and um it, you know it was at that time it was the two of us together and um this this thing on Instagram and Facebook, or at least Facebook, may still evolve into the two of us because we're still in touch. Um, and and that was it. You know, um, the pictures went into a box, uh, and I think I think I showed a couple of them. You know, now and again, and in, in one gallery or another, um, you know, somehow somebody saw something somewhere. I don't know; they were reproduced somewhere, but that was it. Back in that in, in that time, you know, maybe my part of the show consisted of twenty photographs, and uh, I didn't think I had more than twenty photographs. And so now I'm looking at it again, and it turns out that I do have more than twenty <laughs> photographs.
1: I'd say you so, do.
0: But what I'm doing, you know, it's it's more obvious on Facebook than it is on Instagram. But what I'm doing is I'm trying to um, put at first I I put the pictures up randomly. So the first dozen or so are, you know, randomly, but then I realized that I needed to tell the story of the trip because Mm -hmm. there were things that happened during the trip that were not photographed or could not be photographed. Um, And so I really had to, um, you know, remember the order and where we were when, and, And so I guess that's helpful for me in a personal way. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to see people's reactions. And, um, I I don't think that, um, I mean, if, if the Getty wants to buy the whole collection, that, that might be fine with me, but, but, uh, but, you know, that, that's aside from, uh, you know, a, a, a sort of impossible dream, uh, scenario like that, uh, really i'm just putting them out to for for my own um recollection and for my own sense of continuity and also i, I suppose in some ways it's you know putting up the flag and see if you know if anybody salutes it
1: mm-hmm. well i think uh i'm i'm saluting them <laughs> as, as they go up I think there it's it's one of the the um the bright spots of of what I see on instagram for sure
0: well it's it's crazy because it's you know in terms of the trip i mean I'm only about fifteen percent into it
1: wow i wow.
0: mean I, in terms of the pictures that I'm posting, I've just gotten back from Mexico, and wow. so we haven't even left you know in uh in the camper yet. So there's, there's, there's a lot there's, more, much more to come, but there's more to come. Yeah.
1: Well, um, I've taken a, a, a lot of your time today and I want to ask one, actually two questions. Um, uh, the first one is what are you working on now? It sounds like there's a lot of things that you're working on, but if there's something specific you want to highlight, um, I'd love to hear about okay.
0: it. Okay. Um, well, First of all, uh, life is somehow much more complex than it used to be. And so in terms of photographing, I photograph whenever I can. And, uh, I, actually, I just, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I gave a talk on, um, my photographs from the car at the photographic resource center mm-hmm. in Boston. And, um, I said, I realized, I said, you know, I'm going to show you X number of hundred photographs, X hundred number of photographs. And most of the pictures, 80% of them, were taken driving from my house to Boston College and back, or driving to Whole Foods and <laughs> back to shop,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or you know, driving to New York to see my dad or something like that. And, you know, it's like I photograph when I can. And, um, so that's something that goes on all the time. Now, on top of that, in terms of specific projects, um, I have been, uh, I'm still working on car pictures, um, I have been working on photographs about books and about the idea of how people see books these days. I mean the physical book and how it's become more uh fetishized and more of an more objectified and um less about just something, you know, a bunch of letters between covers to read. Um and and that's also about our history, about collecting and things like that. And akin to that, um, there's actually another reference to the history of photography that um I'm building up some some pictures for, which is Andre Cortez um in the nineteen sixties did a book on um reading, and it's called On Reading. And it was one of his more popular books, and you can still get it. It's, you know, maybe only 60 pictures or something like that. Um, and I like this idea of on-reading because the idea, the notion, and the practice, the physical practice of reading has changed entirely. So um that's kind of where I want to stop in terms of describing it. But I I think that you can probably – you know, fill in some of the details yourself in terms of like how people read until up to 10 years ago,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. how people read today and Mm -hmm. what they read and what it looks like and where they read. And so, um, there's a bunch of pictures for that project. Um, finally, uh, and I'm sure there's more work than this, but, um, finally one thing that's uh on on a burner is um it's about the nature of street photography and which has become very problematic in recent times um as 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 you probably know and that that i mean my experience as somebody who ha, who started photographing you know in 1971 or 1972 you know really not knowing much about photography um, at that time you know, my experience of just like walking out in the street or out in the neighborhood or downtown or whatever, and taking pictures of whatever caught my eye is of, was a very different experience than trying to do the same thing now. And now there's much more hostility and much more paranoia and much more, um, fear and uncertainty. And the irony I find is that you know th- never in my experience, and I've talked to other photographers as well, so I I, I feel fairly confident in saying this um, has it been more difficult physically and psychologically to go out in the world, especially where there are people, and photograph. And, but it's it's not limited to people. I mean if, some, if somebody if you photograph somebody's house or if you somebody photograph somebody's car and mm-hmm. they see you or somebody else sees you I mean there's always the suspicion. So there the level of paranoia is unprecedented you know partially because of 9/11, partially because of the internet mm-hmm. par- and, and social media, um, partially because of the media and the, the way that they feed, these ideas of terrorism and pedophilia and and that sort of thing. But the irony is that in all this paranoia, we are on camera all the time. (laughs) And so, you know, I did a project and I, I may have briefly mentioned it before, you know, in, in Harvard square for the past, for the three previous summers, you know, in, in which, um, I got screamed at. I got cursed at. I got shoved. I got beat up. Um, and I was you know, there's nothing that I was doing wrong. I was everything that was perfectly legal. Um, and in fact, I I would go there and I'd have a satchel with me, and in the satchel would be reviews of shows, announcements, um, my resume, letters uh, for on you know BC stationery uh, saying who I was and who I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, um, finally I had to get a letter from the superintendent of Cambridge police to, you know, to say, leave this guy alone. He's legit. And even then people would, you know, there, there'd be some guy who would say, I don't give a shit what he said. You know, I'm a, you're an asshole, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so, uh, there's a project which, um, code named everybody loves a photographer and um it's basically a compilation of stories and incidents and the documentation of those um that have happened to me um over the past 40 years and how things have changed and you know you know about contemporary photography i mean i think that the um the the, the way people are dealing with street photography now um at least w- w- the, the, the people that are in in the public presence the most, I think, are people like Doug Rickard and Mishka Henner, who will instead of going out on the street, into the world, they'll go on Google Street View
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you know, you know,
1: isolate frames from what they from that
0: Doug Rickard's um, New American Photographs is is probably the, the, the paradigm creator of this, where he would go into poor neighborhoods, you know, that, that, that the Google Street View um, car went through and photograph, you know, make a screen grab and photograph it um, and then make a print, which I think conceptually has a lot of um, value to it. I mean, the idea of putting this, of, of mediating uh, another layer you know, another layer of mediation between the world and, um, and, and, and the, and the object of the print. Um, it's the camera through the camera or through the screen through the camera, whatever. Um, you know, it's this meta infinite regression sort of thing. Um, and that becomes, you know, the new street photography. And it's commenting on the old street photography. I mean I mean I'm kind of fascinated by it. I I also think that um it's a little bit funny that um and you know I, I guess you're familiar with some of this work, but some of it is quite beautiful, um, but it all reminds me of William Eggleston or Bill Christianberry, or you know, a certain style of photography that was established in the 1970s if not earlier that people like john sarkowski um promoted which was based on the um uh you know the outsider photograph the um the untutored Mm -hmm. the snapshot you know the snapshot aesthetic and so literally um it was the the you know when a Google when a Google Street View camera drives down your street and takes pictures, it's it's like the snapshot. I mean, it it has no um, aesthetic purpose at all. It's it's completely informational, and just just like those early photographs that you know people like Robert Frank or Friedlander or uh, Diane Arbus or um, Uh, who's the other person I'm thinking of? Uh, uh, I can't remember. But, um, or Eggleston, you know, copied, they were, they were influenced by, by the vernacular. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's sort of come full circle. But, um, anyway, I, I feel like I need to make some kind of a statement about being out in the world and photographing and what happens because I get in tr- trouble so much.
1: <laughs> I, Carl, that's a discussion. We, we should have a an um, off of this, a, a separate discussion about that because oh, yeah. I, I certainly have, I, I've, I have my own experiences with that, <clears throat> my own observations and, you know, the w- w- ways that I've gotten around, um, Try to get around that because it's Mm -hmm. you know there's something, there's something important and very you know for photographers kind of of our ilk, you know it's very important to be out in the world and uh, you know kind of interacting on the street and you know having that type of spontaneous usage of the camera and response to what you see is is really kind of an essential part of our practice, you know yeah
0: and and and, and actually I think there's something else about it which is that. um, it's, it's protected first amendment free speech
1: mm-hmm, that's and
0: true. You know, in, in, I mean, obviously I'm talking at a very, um, critical time, but, um, just to say for purposes of discussion right now that, you know, we still live in a, in a democracy and we, you know, we have a constitution that allows us, you know, certain freedoms and to have those freedoms, you have to give up other kinds of things. So the balance is here between First Amendment right to free speech on the one hand and right to privacy on the other hand. And I think that wisely um, the framers of the Constitution realize that you have to give up some of one to have the other and you have to decide which one is more important in the larger sense mm-hmm. and clearly um, the right to free speech the right to free expression trumps uh, no pun intended mm-hmm. uh, the right to privacy i mean mm-hmm. you have a right to privacy in your own place and if you're in a public space then you're in a public space and it, you know the the government's uh, the nations that have uh, put the, have sacrificed the right to free speech, you know, usually become uh, dictatorships of, of some mm-hmm. sort or another. And so I, I do think that, um, you know, I've thought it through to that degree, and that's also part of my uh, reasoning to people when I talk to them on the street. Mm -hmm. Uh, to greater or lesser effect
1: (laughs) well my final question is where can people find your book the americans by car to purchase
0: well that's a that's a great question um it's it can be found um by either emailing or messaging me i have not you know, I don't put it in stores. I I don't make any attempt to, um, uh, go through any kind of commercial venue. And in fact, um, so there were four printings. Um, there may be more. The first three printings sold out in two months. Wow. Uh, The fourth, the fourth printing, um, is more than half sold out. It's, um, It was a printing that was initially made for institutions, for um, you know museum collections, for libraries, for artist book collections, that sort of thing. And that is, you know, there are some left with that, and um, you know, I could do another printing, but um, right now, if one wants to get a book, um, I, I would say that what I have right now is probably going to be gone within the next two months. And, um, you just have to contact me and, you know, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I have two email addresses and, um, I'm not hard to find. I mean, ironically, I do not have a website. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I do not have a website where I put up my photographs, Mm -hmm. but, um, Uh, you you can certainly find me on the web. You can contact my gallery. You could, you know,
1: well, what I'll do is accompanying this interview there, there will, I will have a a link that will have uh, for people to have access to your email and your Instagram and other, other ways that they can get in touch with you. Absolutely.
0: Sure. That'd be great.
1: Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you. And, um, you know, you're gonna have a hard time making me sound intelligent, I think. <laughs> but, but but I have faith in you, and um, um, I'm looking forward to the day that um, we we meet in person.
1: Oh, thanks very much. Thanks very much. I hope I hope that that uh, is in the near future as well.